0: they can't handle the truth war room battleground here's your host Stephen K Bannon
1: by July he was completing a base on Guadalcanal preparing to cut our supply route to Australia we couldn't wait for ships that were building or troops that were training we must stop him with what we had there and then 7th 1942 we landed Marines on Guadalcanal we surprised the Jap and the landings were easy but we were just in time in another two days Jap planes would have been operating from Henderson field and the landing that had been so easy would have been well nigh impossible but the Jap wanted Guadalcanal and strove desperately to take it back furious close-range night actions, our Navy slugged it out with his. Our forces were numerically inferior, but we hung on. Little by little we chopped away at his ships, until by the end of the year we had gained command of the sea approaches to the Southern Solomons. In 1943, the Marines were relieved by the army. Our victory had decisively stopped the enemy advance, throwing him from offense to defense. We had reversed the wartime strategy of the Japanese Empire.
0: Okay, it's Friday, 10 February in the year of our Lord. 2023, welcome for the second hour of the late afternoon, early evening edition of the War Room. Of course, on Fridays, they always get these interesting uh, news drops. But uh, in this show, I want to pull the camera back and get into some depth of uh, a former Secretary of Defense, uh, Chris Miller. And also, then we have uh, the one and only Royce White, who's launched a new uh, radio and and content venture. I want to get into Royce, his thoughts about everything that's going on in this new Congress, um, Chris, uh, 80 years ago, yesterday was the end of, uh, in 1943, within one week, you had the German army surrender at Stalingrad and you had the Japanese army surrender uh, at, uh, a, a lot of them didn't surrender, just you know, didn't, didn't want to be captured, but surrendered or removed from Guadalcanal, really the inflection point of the second world war. As a, it, it, you spent what thirty four years, you, you retired as a colonel.
2: Yeah, sure did, Steve. Did, did thirty four years that. of special
3: special
0: rest. forces.
2: You know, you know what I was thinking. About? <laughs> you know what I was thinking about when you were running that man. We don't make them like that anymore, do we? Freaking Bull Halsey, that dude. I mean, the stones on that guy. You think about uh, doggone. <laughs> Edson, the Marine uh, Raider, who just went behind enemy lines and ripped them apart with basically nothing. I mean, it was like, hey, here's a rifle. Take, you know, what do they? What do you think they carry? Like 60 rounds of ammunition. Guys starved. Just doggone tough, tough Marines. Talk about, oh my gosh, you know. Then we talk about Europe. Had had that guy Pat, and remember, everybody thought he was crazy. Doggone that cat knew how to fight. I was thinking, uh, you know, thanks for having me on because you got me thinking from talking earlier in the week, you put up that book unrestricted warfare about the, from the Chinese colonels who I think ended up retiring, like really high up. They were generals before they were done. And I thought about that scene from Pat and remember where he's, he's about to fight Rommel in North Africa. And that great scene where he's, he, he, it's in the evening and he has Rommel's book attacks and he goes, I figured you out. I read your book. <laughs> you remember that, Steve?
0: Oh yeah. Actually, I think he says, You magnificent bastard. I read your book. It was infantry attacks was Rommel's he wrote it after World War One. It was and and obviously Patton was a huge uh, reader. Let me ask you though, is your Secretary Defense, You spent thirty 30- plus years as a special forces green beret you then secretary of defense under president trump his last one in the first term the 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 grit and determination and and toughness of our enlisted men and women and the fighters are still america's best it is in senior it's the senior command you see a total difference right you see almost like a pre-world war ii where the first thing marshall and these guys did they fired people forget they fired a lot of generals in World War II, particularly after you mentioned uh, Kazarine Pass. You mentioned North Africa. They fired, basically, they, they fired a guy that that uh, was a Cucundale that Patton came in and re- you know, relieved Eisenhower. They would, if you didn't perform on the battlefield, you were gone. I mean, they were firing guys, field officers. They were firing colonels, uh, brigadier generals, generals, major generals. They were relieving guys for cause all the time, were they not, sir?
2: How many... Well, you know, Marshall had a doggone black book because he ran the infantry school at Fort Benning and he was just looking for talent in those interwar years. And he'd write names down like Jim Gavin. That guy's pretty good. Oh, who's this Omar Bradley? Wow, that guy really gets it done. And then, of course, when the war starts, like you said, uh, Marshall just freaking wholesales, just decimates the uh, highest ranking levels of, of leadership and military. And, you know, let's go there who's been held accountable who got relieved in the, in the last wars? A couple people did, but it was probably for political stuff and not war fighting uh, failures and that's you know hey man, I'm pitching my book you know that that's the theme of the book, right is where's the accountability? We keep losing these wars. So what are we doing? how where are they? you know infantry school developed a whole generation of just incredible officers that won World War Two. you know where are they now? I got to tell you though I think they're out there. The, the young kids, you're not supposed to call them kids. I know I always do that. I always get criticized for that. But they're kids, man. I know we're a different generation. There's young people that volunteer to serve, and those young leaders. They get it. we just got to change the system, and that's the point I'm trying to get across in the book is where, where is our marshal oh, right uh, now? The, the, the,
0: book, the book is called Soldier Secretary because you really were represented the, the, the enlisted men, the, the fighting men and women. But what has happened is it political correctness. What what has happened? Because when you read the book, I'll be blunt. It's and this is even before you get to the part that I got it to focus on, which was yeah, keep keep it up there while I talk. Um, uh, Memphis, yeah, thanks. That's the cover. I want everybody to get a chance. It's a depressing book, and it's a depressing book. And I I say you don't even have to get to the J six part or any in the Trump's, uh, you know the 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 ninety days that you were the hundred days you were the secretary. A defense after he came in in November, uh, it's it's the lead up because you see, uh, thanks Memphis, uh, you see the you see all the places you stop. There's always it's not about the valor and uh, and uh, and toughness and grit and sense of purpose of the fighters, but it's just all, it's just this mentality that we're not there to win. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of seeped in everywhere. That it, th- this is, and this gets to be deeper than just firing one or two guys. You now have a culture. I think your book is a great uh, example of the cultural issue we have that um, MacArthur warned us about when he was relieved for cause over this very simple topic about victory. He said, there's no, he came back to tell Congress, there's no substitute for victory. And he laid out what was going to happen to the United States and what should particularly happen to our military on all these conflicts, like in Korea at the time, that were just going to be, we were happy to fight the stalemates. Secretary Miller, your thoughts?
2: Yeah. What else can I add, Steve? I mean, you just nailed it. And uh, doggone, it's like we have such, I mean, we have people that are willing to serve, and they're magnificent. You know, and that's why I always love to get out of DC because I'd be in DC. I was, I know it was only seventy-three days. Not a lot went on, as you know. That was like that was irony. I was trying to do that David Letterman ironic thing that doesn't seem to work that much anymore, because everybody takes everything out of context. Uh, which, boy, I'd love to chat with you about that maybe offline one of these times about. The, my experiences uh, dealing with this political stuff that's going on. But let's go back to your point about warfighting effectiveness. And You know, that's that's really what it's all about. You talked about Guadalcanal and how we had to doggone, you know, rid ourselves of leadership and practices to get ready uh, to roll them back. And I know it sounds cliche, but I have yet to meet, I said this last time, I have yet to meet anybody who volunteers to serve to fight the culture wars. And my issue is that where are our leaders that are allowing all of this stuff to affect warfighting effectiveness? I just got back. I can't tell you where I was because a guy will get in trouble. But I, I went out before the book got published because I said I need to go back to the field and listen, not talk, listen to the people that are serving and see where have things changed? They haven't changed down in the trenches. They haven't changed when you're in a close quarter battle, stack going through a door. All people want is like, "Hey, just let me do my job and you know support me." And that's that's the point I'm trying to make, you know. And I'm going to keep making it, Steve. This is kind of my calling, you know. Call out this stuff. Do you remember? Hey, can I ask you a question? You remember uh, David Hackworth when he wrote that book about face about his experiences? <laughs> You know that, that I, about kind
0: of, about yeah. face. I, I actually I, I actually had the film rights to that book for, for a couple years. About face. It's amazing, amazing book. Dude,
2: I wish you would. That That's, you know, my book is not nearly as good as About Face because pay, people can't pay attention for uh, that long anymore. They can't, actually. I was trying to be ironic again. But that book, you bought the rights to that, man. You know how good that book is. That book formed uh, my thinking and a whole generation of young leaders when we were like lieutenants and the, the sergeants. And, you know, that's why, gee, you sound really angry. I'm like, I, I never thought that would happen again with— Uh, The the experience Ackworth just talked about, uh, about the same things we're talking about now. Steve, nothing's changed. What are we doing in this country? We've got to get people motivated to change the system that promotes, you know, officers into the extremely high ranks without guaranteeing that they're proficient at warfight and they're not a bunch of political generals.
0: Going to talk about Hackworth, but it's ironic about MacArthur going back and giving that speech when he was relieved. Hackworth starts in Korea when he was enlisted, man. Remember, he's the opening scene where he's got an officer. They're they're in a convoy in the in the first in the vehicle is broken. He's got a young second lieutenant that gets up trying to be like George Patton, takes his revolver out to be like funny or cute, uh, and shoots the tire on the broken thing and it ricochets off the hubcap. And, blow, and it hits him right between the eyes. He's dead. His head's blown off right there. It's, the book is a fascinating book about leadership and, and courage. I, I want to play, because I, I definitely got to get to what, we had a great interview with the other day. I think we broke some ground there about parts of the book that are just amazing, obviously the about the J6 and others. And then you had a, and, I've, and, and so for the audience, and I want to make sure Memphis doesn't have it, but for Grace and Captain Bannon, I want to get the entire 30-minute clip and put it up online after the show tonight, so people can watch a real throwdown i've not I've not seen this on Morning Joe, and we monitor that show quite closely Let's go and play the let's play that. we got a shorter clip, and then we're bringing in chris Miller.
2: New York. I mean, certainly, as you know, there were calls from congressional leadership. Eventually, the vice president said, we need the National Guard. Already been activated. So at that point, 1104 got the requested or I'm sorry, at 304, got the requested at 1500, 3 p.m. Is that when the vice president called? Is that? No, he called way later. Uh, Secretary McCarthy came in with a request for additional support. I'd already made the decision we were going to activate, but you got to let—and this isn't some bureaucratic thing—you got to let the process move. So
0: you, you said 3:04, and, and and who made that request that got you guys moving at 3:04? Three,
2: three o'clock. Secretary McCarthy and General McConville of the Army Chief of Staff showed up at my office. Said, "Here it is. We've got the request." Did you from whom? <laughs> from uh, the mayor of. Uh, Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Did you ever hear from President Trump that day? No, didn't need to. And it... Okay, and in that moment, after watching his action or inaction that day,
0: there were other concerns uh, vo- David knows this well voices of the military that in, these, in the heat, President Trump was still in office for two more weeks at that point that he might use the military at some point then call for some sort of
2: either strike or you know d- overseas or potentially deploy the tr- ask to give you some sort of order uh, at home. Well, did you share that concern? No, not in the least I just thought why it not? Was, I thought it was just political bluster and hyperbole. And uh, I knew that I was very confident based on my experiences with the president's decision making and national security and foreign policy. We've been through a couple, a couple uh, repetitions by this point. I wasn't concerned at all. You
3: didn't think that he might invoke the insurrection act? No, you talked about it.
2: No, uh, because I've been told that he was wasn't going to invoke the insurrection who, who, who told you that i heard that from uh, his one of his people johnny McInty, though he was on that day he said the president? no not on that day a couple days prior so i was i wasn't concerned i mean i'm just telling well, you I'm-
0: Okay, I guess I, the... But every secretary of defense preceding you was concerned. Yeah, i mean, just watching him and knowing him. How could you not be? He's very unpredictable, and he says he's going to do certain things. And uh, people have learned over time to believe him. Um, And, you know, you look at different events in this presidency, starting at
1: Charlottesville. You didn't have any of these concerns
2: when we were dealing with foreign policy, national security decisions. All of my experiences, interaction with the president and his decision making, I was very comfortable with. If I wasn't, I would have left. I mean, that's how it works.
0: Let's go to. I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you right now that chris miller will never be invited back to morning joe i've never seen it dude that was a that was was it eight on one was it eight on one around that table you handle yourself magnificently it was eight on one you see these mo you see these films from smithsonian or national geographic has got the old lion and you got eight jackals around, and they start biting chris miller brother first off i gotta talk to hachette your book publisher who does that to a guy? Who who's the publicist for this book? Well, my staff sitting here it was early, they called me. If I hadn't gotten to the studio, they said, Hey, Miller's there and it's like ten on one. Walk us through that, sir.
2: Hey, Steve, you know, this is gonna this is what I want to talk to you about off- offline sometime about where we are as a country, because uh you're ahead of me and my thinking and I'm still developing and yesterday was a really important day in my development of political thinking because I've always been a national security guy. But I thought that uh, I think the American public needs to hear all perspectives. And so I was willing to go into the lion's den on that one, gladly knowing it wasn't going to probably end well, because I mean, call me, I know you can call me like completely naive, which I'll take it. I was like, Hey, we need to talk about this stuff and we need to be able to talk about it you know, in a little longer form. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, (laughs) You you think I'm an idiot for doing it?
0: (laughs) Yes, yes. No, no, no. I think you're brave. I think it had to be done. I think it's magnificent. But no, you're an idiot to think that they Steve. want to have a full discussion. <laughs> they, 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 they're not there to they're not there to talk about, you know, the Klaus strategy laid out in your book. That's all kill zone. <laughs> they want to show Trump. They want to show Trump. They want to provide, you know, stuff for the grand jury so that Trump can be thrown in prison for the rest of his life. That's what they're trying to do. They were coming at you from each and every angle you
2: didn't see it you didn't see i had my ranger handbook from the the bible of my existence for you know 30 something years i had i had to have a talisman with me so i'm like i'm taking my ranger handbook in here just to give me give me strength man so uh yeah i i i gotta tell you in some ways i I really was uh glad that i had the opportunity to say my piece although you know so people don't want to hear it you know
0: no, it was fantastic. I let's go, uh, but I want to go back to something we did the other day. We talked about the other day, because it, and because my phone blew up after our first interview. But according to the book, right is is and it's Sunday afternoon. The the J six was a Tuesday, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, Monday was the uh, was when the fifth, and so Sunday the fourth. It was Sunday the fourth that you called for and had a conference call, not a face to face meeting, but had a conference call because you were at that time a little worried personally had had everything been had all the boxes been checked and you hadn't seen a punch list nobody nobody sent is in the military nobody sent a punch list of how we're supposed to prepare for this thing particularly like fbi doj so you initiated a conference call correct
2: i did you know and it was i knew it was i knew i was going to get hassled like We all knew that there was going to be litigation down the road. I mean, you know how this game works in D.C., but I I kind of flashed back to being, you know, an army officer. And I was like, this thing's not wired tight and uh, we need to have a conference call. I wanted to do it in person. But remember, it was uh, it was right the holiday weekend. Right. So people were. All over. And I said, we got to sync ourselves across the government. So I called that meeting. We had two, Yeah, we did it that day. And then we did another one. I can't remember. I have my notes or there's a diary of it that was published. So, yeah, I was the guy I was like, hey, you know, because I had my Ranger handbook, man. I was like, hey, we got to do we got to do some coordinating here.
0: So on that call, you, you initiated this call on, on 4 January, and according to the book, you had DOJ, but FBI didn't have a senior. DOJ was speaking for the FBI. The FBI, at least in the book, I don't believe had a representative. You had representatives no, representative FBI, from right, Capitol Police and from FBI, but there weren't the head guys. This was not—Rosen the was on as acting attorney general. Do you remember who the FBI person was?
2: I don't remember. I'd have to look that up again. And, you know, I got all sorts of, it was not a a well-run meeting. (laughs) You're supposed to have an agenda. And all the military people are like, that's the worst meeting we've ever had. And I was like, hey, listen, this is interagency. This is a whole government thing. They don't think like you do. The purpose was, you know, storming, forming, norming. I was like, we need to get through storming, forming, and norming and get to performing like in the next 24, 40." 48 hours. So that first meeting is like, I just needed to like highlight, guys, you know, we have a responsibility to the president and to our nation to make sure we're talking to each other. And this is, you know, fundamentally, it, hey, it didn't take a doggone intelligence professional to see what was going on in social media to go things have changed dramatically from the from previous episodes. So that was my concern.
0: But this is the point. I mean, that's why this the the conference call, the meeting, is so important. And, And you know, I noticed that Morning Joe didn't want to spend a lot of time on it because they don't want to talk about what the real story is here. The real story, quite frankly, is not the reaction of what happened on the event. The real that's noise. The signal is leading up to the event. That's the important stuff. When you were on that call, did you feel that you had a Because defense intelligence and and your aspects of the intelligence community has no bearing here. You're not supposed to do any domestic surveillance. So that had to come from other people. Was there a full intelligence briefing on the call or did it seem like given all the chatters out there? And I say chatter just on MSNBC and CNN nonstop of the holiday weekend about what was going to happen on J6, the 6th of January on Tuesday. Was there any real intelligence briefing or anybody in the government, since you had the heads of not just the D.C. government, but really the leadership of the federal government? Did you get a full intelligence briefing or did you think anybody had a modicum of understanding about what was going to happen?
2: Great question. Thank you. That's the stuff we need to talk about, right? Like, yeah, we, we started this meeting with like, you always start with intelligence. And I think it was Homeland Security, you know, good good. Good brief, uh, but the thing is, you know, you always the intelligence community only wants like we have this verified factual data, and they weren't going with like, no, are you guys doing any social media scraping? Uh, we're looking at it, but we can't make an assessment, and that's that's the way the enterprise works. So yeah, we had we had the intel brief. It was it was short, but it was it was you know I thought good enough to go like man you know, there's, there's a possibility, Steve, remember there'd been, uh, two episodes after black lives matter, uh, protest in June, there have been two other demonstrations that had happened that resulted in violence. So this wasn't like rocket science, you know, it didn't take a PhD in like game theory or anything to figure out that there was high likelihood there was going to, there were going to be clashes that day. And I think we had, we had a good enough picture uh didn't, didn't see the uh, storming of the Capitol, but hey, remember, you know, Capitol Hill police is like and metropolitan police, is like we got this, you know?
0: Well, well but I want to, uh, by the way, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. We also have Royce White uh, with us, but Chris, um, there had been after the election, I think it was November 12th, of first March. And people believe that that drew a million people. And that was a spring-like day. It was like a family event. Uh, it was uh, very upbeat because at that time, most President Trump supporters thought that the election was going to, that the true numbers were going to come out. In fact, I think it's Saturday. And that election was when uh, AP Associated Press actually called it at like 1130 in the morning. But it was a very upbeat. A couple weeks later, when the Electoral College met, I think 50,000 people is a much smaller, but still 50,000 people. Uh, I believe uh, in the book, you say that in the intelligence briefing you got, and I think it's attributed to Capitol Police, they thought 35,000 people were going to be the crowd. So it's not about whether people were going to be violent enough, just even the size and scale and understanding. It appears, at least as you say in the book, a complete misread by whatever intelligence was given. And this is why I think it's so important to have hearings now, we need to know what the House, House, uh, Nancy Pelosi, the administration. We need to get all the facts on the table because the most disturbing thing in your book is how not President Trump, right, but the the apparatus of the administrative state somehow this failed to click, and it doesn't make any sense. It, 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 you have more questions than not when you read your book, and I think that's the power of this book. And quite frankly, why the Morning Joe guys don't want to talk about the most important parts of a short commercial break. Secretary of Defense Chris Miller under President Trump next. Starting the new year, how will you prepare yourself, friends and family? In the news, you're seeing constant government overreach, attacks on our communication and energy grid, worldwide conflicts, natural disasters, in the never-ending assault on our security and privacy. And relying on your cell phone in these scenarios simply won't cut it. That's why over the last year I've been partnering with Satellite Phone Store to help you stay prepared and assure your vital communications stay private. They're one of America's largest satellite companies with thousands of happy, well-prepared customers. For a limited time, Satellite phone store has a special promotional offer when you go to sat123.com/bannon that is sat sat123.com/bannon get a bivvy stick or an imarsat satellite phone included with an annual agreement remember that's you get a bivvy stick or a marsat satellite phone included with an annual agreement Now, Satellite Phone Store's customer support team is located in the United States of America and can help you pick the best plan for you. Go to sat.com right now. That's sat123.com slash Bannon. sat123.com slash Bannon. And get your device today. Don't put it off. Life can change in an instant. That is sat123.com slash Bannon. sat123.com slash Bannon. Get it today. Take action, action, action. In Joe Biden's America, criminals are exalted and the police are condemned. Sad to say, but you need to be prepared and properly trained to defend yourself and to defend your family. Thankfully, there's iTarget Pro. This revolutionary system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your own home. No more inconvenient trips to the range, and with inflation causing the price of ammo to skyrocket, you save a ton of money. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm, and start your training experience. iTarget will help you develop muscle memory, sharpen target reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger function, and more. iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, so you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Go to iTargetPro.com right now and save 10% plus. Get free shipping with the offer code BANNON, B-A-N-N-O-N, all one word. This makes a great gift for Father's Day and is less expensive than a few hours at the range. That's the letter iTargetPro.com. That's iTargetPro.com, offer code BANNON, B-A-N-N-O-N. War Room Battleground with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Chris Miller, the last Secretary of Defense under President Trump, is there. So, Chris, when, when the assessment was 35, I just want to make sure the audience understands this. The Capitol Police or D.C. Metro told you we can handle up to a million, right? So this is like nothing even to worry about. There's nothing to see here. This is a non-event, correct?
2: Steve. You know, remember when you were in the Navy and you get your intel brief and it would change like every 20 minutes and you're like, uh, clearly we don't know what's going on. So it started earlier, but well before, like in the first or second, it was going to be 5000 protesters, demonstrators, whatever. And then we got to 35. And I think the actual number, which I don't think's really come out, I thought we'd find that in the one six thing. And like you said, we really don't have a serious investigation yet about what the heck happened? And uh, yeah, I was thirty-five thousand. So here, let me give some context. So you know, I'm the I'm the Secretary of Defense. I'm not supposed to be doing like domestic stuff, right? That's that's not what the Department of Defense does, except when natural disaster, civil, you know, breakdown of civil society. But when it comes down to it, uh, yeah. So we the, the metropolitan place. I wish I, I wish I would have taped the conversations, but you know, that's not the way I roll. And I wish I had the person's name. It it was so clear, like it was like, hey, JV military, right? Hey, there's like a thought bubble. I think the, what the words are coming out is we have uh, typically, you know, with we're going to have ten thousand police in the street. That is the force structure we have to handle up to a million protesters. Thought bubble though, let's get the thought bubble. It's like, hey, JV military guys, stay the. F out of our way. We got this. So Steve, I'm like, that's all I wanted to know. I just wanted to know that like, hey, cops got this. We're in a good place. Just wanted to make sure there wasn't going to be any huge need for military presence. But let's be clear. If, if Capitol Hill police would have said, I need 10,000 soldiers. President had already authorized me to make that decision. I would have given him it. I got a request from Mayor Bowser. What was a couple hundred? At the end of the day, they they ended up having about four or five hundred on duty that day. But uh, so yeah, it's kind of like, what what's what's going on? the
0: the The president the following day, I think it was Monday, asked you in a meeting. I think you had a meeting with him on another he topic. He asked you about preparations. He, he called you, asked about preparations, and you said, "Hey, she's asked for three hundred twenty-five, and I think we're going to station them at a joint base." Andrews, Andrews Air Force Base. And he said, oh, you're gonna need 10,000. Right. He yeah, said you're gonna need 10,000.
2: You know, that would... you can argue, they're like, oh, what does that mean? He said that. And he gave me full authorization. And Steve, I'm getting too loud. I know. But you're like, you get me going on this. You do this on purpose. I know. And like, the the means would be great as I'm sitting like a hostage. You're uh, But you know, the key point is, on that, the way the military works is when you get your authorization, when your boss gives you the authority, you don't go at, go back and ask for more questions. I'm a special operator. You get your mission, you get your commander's intent, and you go execute. You don't go back like every fifteen minutes. Hey, boss, I just take, want to
0: check. Take, take, t- t- take, take, take a message to Garcia. Um, the there you go. Um, we got it. We got. We got to bounce, but I want I want to make sure everybody gets his book, the the soldier secretary, because it's a fascinating view of really the the wars we fought over the last twenty or thirty years, and really the 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 task and purpose of the military as seen from a soldier's perspective. And then it finishes kind of out of nowhere with Chris as acting Secretary of State under President Trump during probably one of the most trying times in any administration in history. Um, You just called for something because we're going to have you back on. But you said, quote, we need a serious investigation of that day. And I would take you mean the lead up to it, too. Do you not believe that the J6 uh, Moscow show trial under with the 845 page book that's out and then thousands and thousands of pages of testimony? You don't believe that was serious?
2: No, I still think they're unanswered questions. And we all know what those questions. And I thought, uh, I'm I'm concerned about lessons learned from national security perspective. And that's why I I read, I read it. I didn't read it all. I read the portions about National Guard and the timeline, but I'm still left with a bunch of like, why didn't they ask so-and-so about this?
0: Do you would you be a supporter to, to Speaker McCarthy that you think that the Republicans ought to, uh, ought to really have a true investigation of everything around Jan- January 6th and bring people in under subpoena, do depositions, and allow the Democrats to have a ranking member and a minority council so they could cross-examine witnesses so we could really get on the record under sworn, sworn, you know, sworn depositions, sworn testimony with cross-examinations to really get to I the thought, bottom of what happened, sir, in the run-up and then that day?
2: I thought that's what they were supposed to do, but then it all got muddled and politicized. And I thought we were going to have like a September 11th, 2001 commission where we'd come out the other side and, and figure out how to do better as America and, you know, capture those lessons learned. And I don't think it's happened yet.
0: And you would be an advocate to do that though. Correct.
2: Hey, I don't want to go up there ever again, Steve. I'm just telling you as a, as a selfish American private citizen now but I would absolutely go up there and go under under oath again and uh do you know I only did 18 hours of testimony on this so I'll go up there for another 18 if that's what it takes to you know figure this out and uh strengthen America
0: if president trump asked you to be his secretary of defense not acting but a secretary of defense in his second term would you would you do that
2: I can't imagine he would and I this is sounds trite but he'd have to call my wife, man. That was a tough, tough episode for our family. And, uh, wow. I don't know if I could put him through that again.
0: Your wife is not a, uh, I take it. She's not, uh, she does not wear a red MAGA ball cap, uh, <laughs> around the house.
2: No, we're kind of like that James Carville, Mary Matlin thing from back in the day, you know? So, uh, she supported me in serving the country and we'd have a serious talk, but, uh, I would for once defer to the family, recommendation we take a family vote on that one i know i sound like you know vice president pence like i don't know
0: yeah 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 we just unsold a bunch of books with that, so that's okay uh tell your wife she you just gotta watch war room more we'll, we'll flip her chris how do people get the book how do they get to your book tour how do they get to your social media
2: oh gosh you know i'm on twitter now they made me go on twitter the publisher did um uh, I I don't even know my handle, Uh, but really Amazon, go Amazon, go Barnes and Noble. Walmart's carrying it uh, online. want to get it in the store, Sam's club, et cetera, et cetera, but probably easiest way. Just get on Amazon, knock it out. Appreciate it. Going to give a, Hey Steve, I'm going to give a heck of, if I make any money on this book, I'm going to give a heck of a lot of it back to veterans causes and, and suicide prevention and stuff like that.
0: Fantastic. And by the way, for full disclosure, you're, you're in the book, you've always got your wife. She's giving you the eye roll all the time. So it's not that you're hiding anything that's in, in the book. It's pretty obvious she's not a, not a fan of, the, of, the, of, the, of your last mission. Chris Miller, thank you so much for coming on. And thanks for going into the lion's den over there at Morning Joe and coming out unscathed.
2: I appreciate you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for what you're doing.
0: Thank you, brother. Let's go now. Royce White's got a, a new endeavor. Let me bring uh, – do I have a cold open for Royce? Okay, let me get Royce. Um, by the way, that, that is the most dramatic shot. i got to talk to my set designer. That's the most just dramatic shot in all media. I mean, it's, it's mesmerizing. Royce, first off, tell me about leadership. You've been a leader of men all your life, right? Yeah. You're one of the true to the bone warriors I know. You're an independent thinker. You kind of, yeah. hey, you, 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 you take on, you take some positions and you get hit by the left, the right, everybody. Talk to me about when you hear Chris Miller, Secretary of Defense, you hear about uh, the wars we fought, all of this, give, give, us, give us your sense right now of American leadership.
3: Well, thanks for having me on again, and I appreciate the, the high praise. Um, you know, I have similar praise for you as well. Um, I, I would say that America is suffering from a crisis of leadership. But there's a crisis of leadership around the world, and really, there's a crisis of sacred honor. You know, when I hear, um, you know, Chris talk the way that he did, uh, it's very apparent that he has a, a a very high sense of integrity and and sacred honor, and and I, you know, respect and admire the way he handled himself in the Lions' den. There, can't say that I would have been as uh, as temperate as he was. Um, but, but then again, they would never, they would never invite me to come on morning Mika, morning Joe either. Um, so, you know, I, I think by and large, there's a crisis of leadership and we have to do our best as individuals to find people who are willing to, to stand alone and, and stand alone on the truth. It'd be a very lonely place, but we have to find those people and we have to support those people and, and we have to, um, um, trust in those people as best we can, but still vet them and, and still uh, be be hypercritical of, of their actions and, and of the things that they do. Um, these are very, very dramatic times, hence the, the set design here, right?
0: Very dramatic. Why, why would Morning Mika, Morning Joe, they pride themselves on being the uh, conventional wisdom and where you go for the inside baseball and what's conventional wisdom. Why, why would they not have... Uh, someone of your stature talents and leadership and kind of a rising new voice on the right. Why, why would they not? Why would they not have you on Morning Mika?
3: Well, because I know who her father was, right? I know I know what I know the effect that Brzezinski had on this entire post-World War II democratic liberal order um, And they tend not to have people on that want to draw the focus of the American people and really anybody else in their audience to the, the bigger picture, or, or the 60- the to 70-year agenda that's been deployed on the American people through our politicians, through our corporations, through the military-industrial complex, through a number of different uh, institutions. Corrupt people, people who do not have this country's best interest at heart, and, and certainly not the, na- uh, the, the citizens, or the value of citizenship. Um, they know I know those things, and they know that I'll speak to those things at a moment's notice. And I wouldn't I wouldn't miss a chance to talk about Brzezinski, Mika's father, if I had the chance to go on morning, Joe. I have very, uh, very specific questions for Mika and how she was raised.
0: Um, The last week has had uh, a woman who you were running against for Congress bounced off of uh, the the House Foreign Affairs Committee at the same time. A group or individual you've designated as one of the great existential threats in the world, the Chinese Communist Party sent a either weapons platform or surveillance platform across the United States, of which our elites did nothing about it. Talk to me about those two events. Was it ironic they both happened around the same time? And are you comfortable with either the transparency of what happened uh, with Xi in the balloon or the response of either the Biden administration or even the Republicans uh, in the House?
3: I'm completely uncomfortable with Biden's, uh, the Biden administration's reaction to the balloon. Um, I, I, think, I think, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, uh, they didn't feel that it was a threat because to them it's not a threat. Because to them, uh, President Xi and, and China um, as, as, an, as an entity, uh, as, as, a, as, as a player in this global jump ball is, is something that they admire and want to emulate. Um, they, they, want, they, they, they have completely diametrically opposed political philosophy, but all of, their, all of their ambitions towards authoritarianism and tyranny point right at President Xi, and they wish they could replicate it here in America. And they wish they could replicate it in a more uh, overt fashion, and they're starting to do that, as we see. Um, so, you know, any, any real patriot, any real, any real leader of, of this country that, that understood the existential threat that the CCP is um, would have acted in a very different way. And, and as far as Ilhan Omar goes, look, I've said it on the, on the show before, um, I think that she is working for the globalists. Um, but, you know, we, we have to be clear about who the globalists are and, and who they've deployed around the world. Um, many, and, and I've told you this before in, in private, um, I think there are many rising nations, many key nations in the Middle East, um, that, that are running dogs for the globalists. So you have this sort of four-player jump ball happening. You have the free people of America, and by proxy the free people all around the world, where American citizens in their, in their proper form represent a bastion against tyranny and globalism from the word go. So you have the free people of the world in America. Um, and then you have the, the, the globalists in Russia and China. And the fight between them is one of national dictatorship versus international dictatorship. And, and um, you know, the, the Saudis and, and many other uh, rising globalist metropolitan Muslim nations are carrying water for the globalists or the CCP. You know, they're kind of on the fence saying who, who you know, where, where their chips will fall. Um, but ultimately they'll do the bidding as well. And Ilhan comes straight from out of that, out of that shark tank.
0: Walk to me. You mentioned this. Use this concept, of this intellectual construct called the free people and the free people of America. I think you've named your your new radio channel, the show, and the radio channel about that, or at least the radio channel. Walk us through. What does that concept mean? And walk us through this new media venture you just launched. Well, you
3: know, many people, and this is part of partly. Part of the other reason why Morning Mika uh, they wouldn't have me on, or any of the mainstream media, um, because as a black man, I'm supposed to tell a certain narrative about, about my American citizenship and my identity. And, and I have completely antithetical views to the mainstream liberal establishment on this. And I understand that, in effect, whether intentional or not, which I believe it was intentional, um, the post-World War II democratic liberal order was, was used... Um, as, as, a, as a way to justify the, the managed decline of America, and, and to devalue American citizenship. And, and in effect, what America was, with all of its flaws in its inception, um, was to protect the rights of the minority against a corrupt and tyrannical government, establishment, globalism. And, and that's what our Constitution lays out. That's what our Bill of Rights lays out. That's what the Declaration of Independence lays out, if you understand it that way. Um, America was a, was a moment after the post-Enlightenment era that, that saw the rise of industry, saw the dangers of science and all of these other things, and, and made a statement that we don't want this place, this New Jerusalem, to be, to be bogged down by the, by the ills and the, 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 the philosophical and spiritual bankruptcy of man. Um, and so th- that, that is who the free people are. And America is supposed to be the bastion of that, and, and I feel a certain duty um, and obligation to carry that, that idea of free people into this, this most you know, tyrannical time we live in. And there are free people everywhere. There are free people there in China. There are free people uh, there in Russia. There are free people there in, 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 in Europe. There are free people in, in the Middle East. There are free people everywhere, but they need to stand up and, and demand that their leaders Um, stop scamming them.
0: Tell us about the show and tell us about the channel. How do people get to it? How are you going to expand? How can people participate? How can they support? We want to hear. we got about three minutes. We want to hear all of it.
3: Well, we're Free People Radio. Um, You can can go find out more information at freepeopleradio.com. There we have two podcasts currently uh, listed. Mine, Please Call Me Crazy, which I've been called crazy a number of times by the liberal establishment. Um, one for being friends with you, and and I wear that as a badge of honor. You're one of the best uh, voices in 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 all of in all of our society right now. Um, so please call me crazy as listed. and then also the Professor Penn podcast. Uh, Professor Penn is a a comrade of mine and a mentor of sorts and has a wealth of knowledge and uh, lived through much of the policy and the history that many of us only can read about. um not not in your audience, obviously, we have some some good veterans and and elders in in this audience as well. but um, he's a, he's a, a great wealth of knowledge as well, so his podcast is listed. Um, for me, Please Call Me Crazy will be premiering on YouTube Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I know our, our MAGA community and, and, and our War Room Posse uh, have a deep animus towards YouTube, but, but I'm of the thinking that we should try and, and take a foothold back inside these institutions as best as we can. Um, for that reason, we also will uh, air each episode. On Rumble at 9 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, uh, and that's the lineup for now. The shows go about an hour and a half. The first episode, I spent two and a half hours just going back over my fight with the NBA, which you could say is the the, the uh, bastion of globalism uh, in post World War II democratic liberal order, corporate policy and co- corporate culture. Um, but but today I plan to to get into the the war in, between Russia and Ukraine and this idea of this this four player jump ball. So. Um, The only way to support now is to just like and subscribe, comment, um, be a force multiplier and, and help us get the ship to altitude uh, so we can continue to have these conversations and, and bring content to the, the people who need it, the people who want it.
0: Real quick, you're not afraid of being given controversy. You take on some pretty controversial topics and you've got your own angle of attack. You're not afraid. I think our audience will say, hey. Is not that we have anything against YouTube except the fact that voices like Royce White are always the voices they pulled down first. You're not, uh, not to mention that the war has been permanently banned. You're not worried about that? Or is that why you have Rumble as a backup?
3: Well, we have Rumble as a backup. We have BitChute as a backup. And we're looking at some other uh, video backups as well. But, but ultimately, you know, I would like to bring a, a person like you back onto YouTube and. And I think, you know, uh, one of the the things that really shifted my political worldview the most was me being an early listener of War Room during the pandemic, during the early days of the pandemic, and and hearing uh, one of the most coherent and detailed uh, explorations of what we were facing, and then to see YouTube or or big tech in general go after you and ban you. So, um, you know, I would like to have you be one of the first people that I interview on my Family and friends Friday uh, with Please Call Me Crazy and and you know we have to keep banging on the door when we abnegate and when when we when we abnegate and when we um, resign from society, uh, we give all of the authoritarians and tyranny the right to to run roughshod over us and that's not being American either. YouTube is an American institution whether they like it or not and we should continue to fight to to have that institution. <clears throat>
0: Royce White, please call me crazy is the show. The Free People's Radio is the network, his new channel. We're going to be a huge supporter of both. Honored to have you on here, sir. We look forward to pushing it out. The Royce White, please call me crazy. We're going to be back at 10 a.m. tomorrow, live Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll see you then in the War Room. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the Swamp and their big tech allies. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, Unplugged.com. That's Unplugged.com slash War Room to install the Unplugged suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Solti. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart.